Actually, truth be told, Destin's prettier than Gulf Breeze. Don't, don't let him fool you. No, but it's a, it's a tremendous joy and privilege for me to be here today. Um, we've been on a journey these last, oh, five or six days or so. We made our way to Germany and spent some time with some Calvary chapels and uh, a time of conference. Never had been to Germany before, but I did grow up with an Oma and an Opa. My Opa, my grandfather, was a big German man, kind of like... Well, kind of like the German version of John Wayne. Do you know John Wayne in Scotland? Intimidating, lots of guns, that kind of a guy. And this is my first time in Scotland. And um, I have three beautiful little girls, three daughters, Lily, Lucy, and Layla. I don't know if you can see them on the screen or not, but Lily's my oldest. She's five years old, and she's got sandy blonde hair. Lucy, my three-year-old, she's got orange, fiery red hair. And then Layla, my little dark-haired beauty, she's my brunette, she just turned one. So never had been to Germany, never had been to Scotland, but when I walked in this morning, felt right at home. I met a young woman named Ruth, and she walked in with her three red-headed children, and I said, that reminds me of Lucy, full of life, full of energy, full of joy. So it's a great privilege to be here with you this afternoon, and if you would, I'd like you to grab your Bibles and go with me to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 is where we'll be this afternoon. And if you'd like to, you can place your finger in Deuteronomy chapter 6. We'll make our way over to that text as we spend some time in the study of God's Word this afternoon. Matthew chapter 28. I've kind of, I like titles to message. I don't know why that is. Maybe it helps me stay focused. But if I were to put a title around this message, I would entitle it as this. The win, each one reach one. The win, each one reach one. Let's look at Matthew chapter 28. This is Jesus speaking. And he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the time that we've had together, even this day, spending time walking through your scriptures, being encouraged and enriched and challenged. And Lord, may you, as you've so faithfully done over this morning and this afternoon, Would you now speak to us through your word? Lord, we love you. We honor you. We fear you, Lord. We adore you. We respect you. We worship you. May this time truly be all and only about Jesus Christ. Jesus, may you speak to our hearts. We love you and pray that in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. And everyone said, Amen. I'm from the South, so when we say amen, there's like sweet tea and everything, we get like a sweet tea amen. Can we say amen together? Amen. 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 The win. Each one reach one. You say, what does that mean? Each one reach one. The win. Well, I showed you a picture of my my three daughters. And Lily and Lucy, my two oldest, they always seem to be in some sense of competition. Does anyone here have children that can relate to that? 
Kids that somewhat like to compete with one another. And it doesn't matter what it is. Coloring within the lines, making a little castle out of Play-Doh, or running a little race from one point to another. But my Lily, my, my five-year-old, sweetheart, but she always has to win. And at any cost, she and Lucy can be running down the, the road and, and Lily will stick out her arm to try and push Lucy back and Lucy will cry and whine because Lily, she's a sinner. She always wants to win. She always wants to be the one out front. Now here's the deal. Many of us can kind of relate to that aspect of winning. But the Apostle Paul tells us about our lifestyle, our walk in Christ, that it truly is a race. It's not a race that we're competing with one another in. But it's a race that we should run so as to win. So as to finally stand before Christ that day, just as we just heard in the last session, and hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant. To keep our eyes focused and fixated upon the goal, upon the prize, upon the presence of Jesus Christ. To win. And so what does this mean here? As it relates to Matthew chapter 28, the win, each one reach one. Well, in Matthew chapter 28, we see that we have been commissioned by Christ to make disciples in His name. To teach them, to baptize them. And to do this with all people groups of all the world. Well, how does this work? How do we kind of measure our progress in this mission of God that He's commissioned us in? Well, I believe it happens as each one of us are engaged in this process. You see, far too often I think many of us have an everybody, somebody, nobody syndrome. Do you know what I'm talking about? Everybody assumes somebody else is doing it when in reality, no one is. Sometimes I see this in my own house. My wife and I kind of have this, this deal. She'll cook and I'll clean because if I cook, no one's going to eat. No one's going to survive. So, so she'll cook and I clean. And if I let things slide a little bit with the dishes and say, well, it's been a long day. I'm sure somebody, knowing who that somebody is, will, will take care of it. My wife loves me enough not to allow me to be lazy. She'll let those dishes pile up. I can't assume that somebody will do it for me. And you know the old saying, it's very true. If mama's not happy... Ain't no one happy. Happy wife, happy life. And see, here's the deal. This commission that Christ gave to His disciples, gosh, as you read through the New Testament, as you get to know these disciples, they're not the superstar guys that sometimes we think they may be. They're guys just like you and me. Those that the Lord can use powerfully because it's about Him and His Spirit and His power and His authority. See, this commission, let me have your attention. It's not for the superstars, the John Spencers, the Dave Guzik's, these great expositors of God's words. They're for the regular people like you and me. They're for the regular people, for all of us. And see, we all can be engaged in this great mission of God. You know, in our youth group, I pastor a church about an hour or so east of Gulf Breeze, east of where my father is. And in our youth group, we have about 20 or 30 students that will gather midweek. And I was in a season where I was teaching the youth. And I was challenging them to do something. 
We'd spend time in the teaching of God's Word. We were going through a series on the Ten Commandments. And when we would get into small groups after the Bible study, I said, okay, kids, listen to me. This is what I want us to do. For the next ten weeks, as we walk through this series, I don't want this just to be content download, just to take in information about God's Word, but I want us to be praying specifically for someone in our lives that we can share the good news of Jesus Christ with. Kids, I want each one of us to reach one. Let's each one reach one. And it was amazing. I got this text one night just before I was going to bed from a mom from one of our youth in our, in our group. And she said this, Listen, Robert is laying out the gospel right now to his each one reach one. And he's asking tons of questions. So pray, pray, pray. So I texted her back, I'm praying. Didn't hear anything for 30 minutes or an hour or so. And I texted her back and said, Hey, how'd it go? And she said, It was awesome. He said he was able to answer a lot of questions. They had great discussion. He's been able to invite this individual who's been so hard-hearted to the gospel to church. And he said he would love to come. He'll be there on Sunday. She said, listen, my son Robert is pumped. Thank you so much for encouraging him to put action behind his faith. See, Robert, just like you and I, just one who's been called out by Christ, given the Holy Spirit of God to empower us for this Christian life, He was able to be used by God in a situation where, honestly, Robert had never shared his faith with anyone. But he'd been challenged. He had this perception. He'd been praying that, you know what? God wants to use me. And in these next ten weeks, I'm just going to be praying for this one person. And as he was praying, lo and behold, guess what happened? God answered his prayer. God will do that as you pour out your heart to him. As you seek to be about his mission. See, here's the deal. Here's the win is when each and every single one of us is engaged. But we're leaning in into the mission that God has for us. See, the win, it's not a polished Sunday morning program for the church. It's not necessarily just a stellar sermon or an entertaining worship set. See, the church doesn't exist to provide us for spiritual things to just consume like a consumer would some other business. But the church exists to bring glory to God and to make disciples. To bring glory to God and to make disciples. And here's the deal. God loves to use people in this process of making disciples. I mean, take just a second. Look around the room. God loves to use people. And does he have a sense of humor or what? I mean, look who's behind this microphone and look who's here today. God loves to use each and every single one of us. And as you read through the Bible, as you get to know the story of God's Word, you see that God uses all kinds of people. Think of Samuel, that Old Testament prophet. He lived in a time of social unrest when violence and contempt for the law was common. And he was kind of the bridge between a lawless society and the time when Israel was governed by kings. He became a very powerful and influential man. He anointed the first and the second king of Israel. But there was a time where he was just one of the kids in Sunday school in the temple. Probably one of the better students, Hophni and Phinehas. They tended to have some issues. But Samuel, he was just a young boy. And in one night, God began to speak to his heart. Three times God spoke to him and called him and used him tremendously. 
Think of David. David was the least likely of his brothers to succeed. He was the last of the litter. When Samuel showed up to anoint the next king for the nation of Israel, Samuel wasn't front and center. He was out back taking care of the sheep. But even as a young man, he had a stellar reputation. When Saul's soul, when, when it was vexed because God's presence had departed from him, one of Saul's servants said, Hey, I know this guy who could come in and play the harp for you. Listen to this reputation that is given of David in, in 1 Samuel 16. No need to turn there, but let me read it to you. It says this, Behold, I've seen the son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. God had his hand upon David. David slew lions and bears and even that great enemy Goliath, that great Philistine enemy of the nation of Israel. And as you know that story, something you see so prevalent in David's life is the confidence he had in God. Not in his own strength, but the confidence that he had in God. When he was speaking to Saul about ready to go out to slay Goliath, listen to what David says. He says, your servant has struck down both lion and bears. And this uncircumcised Philistine shall be just like one of them. He has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And so Saul said, Go, and may the Lord be with you. God used Samuel. God used David. God used young Josiah at the age of eight when he began to reign for 31 years over the nation of Israel. He, he did right in the sight of the Lord in his time. He brought about a great revival. And in the 18th year of his reign, it says there that Hilkiah found the word of the Lord. And Josiah goes down in history as one who was used by God to bring God's people away from the worship of idols and into the study of God's Word. Over and over and over again, throughout the Old and New Testament, you see that God loves to use people. He loves to use people. This ministry that He's commissioned us in, He could have accomplished it in many different ways. But His A plan, His number one team, is you and me, the church. He wants to work in you and through you. God loves to use people. He wants to use you and He wants to use me. So many stories that you could think of and individuals throughout the Old and New Testament that were simply used by God for great and many wonderful things. And so here's the question. Okay, Neil, I understand what you're saying. God loves to use people. He can use you. He can use me. And the win, so to speak, of this thing called the Great Commission is when each and every single one of us is engaged to make disciples. The win is when everyone's participating. It's not a church of just everybody, somebody, nobody. But it's a church, a community, a family dedicated to serving the Lord together. The win is when each one reaches one. The win is when each one of us is engaged. Well, how do we go about that? Well, I love it. The Word of God tells us how. Let's look again at Matthew chapter 28 this afternoon. Jesus said, All authority in heaven and on earth 
has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus has called us to make disciples. And our last words can reveal much about the deepest longings of our life. I hope I haven't bored you. Those were the famous last recorded words of Elvis Presley. Being the entertainer that he was, to be seen as boring, quite possibly could have been the most disappointing achievement ever. And the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of Matthew, they close with these famous last words of Jesus. We know them as the Great Commission. And that is to go and make disciples, to teach the Gospel. And Mark, we're commanded to preach the good news. See, discipleship is furthered through proclaiming what Christ has done and by explaining what Christ has done. And I love it. The Word of God doesn't overcomplicate the call and the process of discipleship when it comes to any age group. As we look at Matthew 28 this afternoon, there's four simple things here that Jesus says. Key components to discipleship. Let's look at the first one. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let me ask you a question. How much is all? It's not a trick question. What do you think? How much is all? All. It's a complete, it's total. Jesus here is making a very powerful statement. It's statements like these that led C.S. Lewis to say, listen, when it comes to Jesus, Jesus is truly either a liar, a lunatic, or he's the Lord. Jesus is either telling you and I just a bold-faced lie. Here. Listen, all authority in heaven and on earth He's a shyster if he's, if he's not true. Or he's a lunatic. You're crazy. All authority. Or he's Lord. He's saying, listen, I have all authority and I've proven it through my death and resurrection, through conquering the grave. Jesus is saying, I have all authority. That's like having, well, for me, I love the NBA. I don't know if that's popular here in Scotland or not, but the National Basketball Association, I love to watch it. Right now we're almost in the playoff season. Got a guy in the back going, no, that's not popular here at all. Okay. Well, in my neck of the woods it is. We love to watch it. But I was never quite tall enough to make it in very far in that sport. Made it all the way to sixth grade, junior high in that sport. But I love to watch players like LeBron James or Kevin Durant. These guys that are nearly seven feet tall. And this is kind of what it's like. Jesus saying, listen, I've got all authority for me. Well, if you put me on the court and we're going to play a little game of basketball, we're not going to get very far in that game. But if we have Kevin Durant, who's nearly seven foot tall, you know what the plan is in that game? Get the ball to Durant. Let him do the job. And Jesus is saying something here that I think is so simple, but we can't miss it. This authority to make disciples... This commission that we've been given, it's backed by the most powerful person on heaven and on earth, God himself. Our authority 
to stand and to make disciples doesn't just come from our senior pastor or from some individual in the church who says, hey, can you meet with this person and, and maybe help them along in their discipleship path? But it comes from Jesus Himself. And this, I don't know about you, but at least for me, gives me tremendous confidence as I step out and I seek to obey Christ. Because you know what? It's not about my authority, my ability, my goodness. It's about Christ and His faithfulness and His ability and His authority. We stand upon the authority of Christ and His Word. Listen to me, don't miss that. Like my father was saying in just the previous session, you know, we live in a world that's riddled by sin. And sometimes facing the task that Christ has given us, you can stand back and go, look at all the evil in the world. How could I, little old me, ever make a difference? Let me tell you how. Greater is He that is in you than he that is in the world. We stand upon the authority of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. If that doesn't change the way your face looks, I don't know what will. If that doesn't put joy in your heart, if that doesn't give you confidence and boldness, I don't know of anything else that can. We serve a risen Savior. And He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. So here's the mission, guys. Come along with me. Let me co-mission you in this journey. Let's go and make disciples. The first thing that you must get is it's about the authority of Christ, not our own authority. It's in Him. And then the second thing He says, look, look at what He says there. He says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, here's something that's interesting. Discipleship does not happen through osmosis. You know that term. Just to put it on here and just make it happen. Rub it. No. It doesn't just happen that way. But to make disciples, we must go and we must make. Disciples are not necessarily born. They're made. They're made. And to go requires movement. And to make requires, well, creativity and work. Jesus. Jesus went from heaven to fully immerse Himself in the sin-filled world, the God-rejecting world that we brought upon ourselves. He made and grew His disciples from preaching on boats, raising people from the dead, putting a runaway ear back on the head of a soldier. Jesus was dedicated. He was creative in His discipleship. And I think God's calling us to do that as well. To allow God to work through your own personality. And to know that you don't have to be like the person that's next to you in order to follow the Lord in the mission and the plan that He has for your life. God wants to use you. You can be engaged. And He says this, it's fine, it's so interesting. He says, baptize them. You know, for me, baptism, I don't know that I would have put that on the top of my list of keys for discipleship. I would say, well, I want a profession of faith. I want maybe large crowds. Or at least a picture with my beautiful face on it that I've got a ministry going on. No. Jesus says, you should make your first aim to baptize. Why is that? Well, I like what one author says about baptism. He says this, the meaning of baptism develops out of the meaning of discipleship. If becoming a disciple of Jesus means dying to your old life, 
and walking in the newness of life with Christ, then it's almost inevitable that the symbolic act of conversion should come to signify a death and resurrection. See, listen to me. Let me have your attention. Baptism is so much more than just an occasion or something that we do and get a certificate to show that we've been baptized. It's about dying to our old life and rising anew. Baptism to the believer is kind of like what a, a wedding ceremony is to a couple. You know, when my bride, my red-headed bride and I, got married seven years ago, we could have walked down to the courthouse, had a justice of the peace sign the certificate, said a few words to one another, and that would have been it. We would have been legally married. But you know what we did? The church my father pastors, it's a rather large church in a rather small town. At that time, I was serving on staff. And so this is what we did. We said, you know what? We want to throw a party. We want to throw a celebration. And we want to invite any and everyone to come to this celebration. So we put it in the bulletin of the church. Hey, Neil and Cece are getting married in a couple of weeks or so. If you'd like to come, come. But you need to bring a gift. No, we didn't say that. But hey, come. Anyone who wants to come, come and witness this great time of celebration. This great time as these two individuals now identify as a couple. As they commit themselves to one another. As they declare their love to one another before family and friends. It's a celebration. We didn't have to have the ceremony to be a couple. But my goodness. We wanted to. Out of the overflow of intimacy and, and love for one another. We wanted to have that ceremony. We wanted to have that time where there was that public declaration of our love for one another. And listen, this is what Jesus is saying. As you make disciples, make baptism. One of your most prominent things. Why? Because you're starting that discipleship process on the right foot. You know, often in my country, the gospel is presented in such a way as this. Are you lonely? Come to Jesus. He'll be your boyfriend. Are you poor? Come to Jesus. He'll make you rich. Do you not know a direction for your life? Come to Jesus. He'll tell you what to do. Now don't misunderstand me. There's truth in every single one of those statements. Jesus truly is the friend that sticks closer than a brother. Jesus truly does have great riches in store for us, mostly in heaven, not so much on earth, if we live for Him. Jesus does have a plan and a will for our life, but here's the deal. Jesus came primarily to reconcile us from our sin, from our unholiness, from our place of wickedness, to a righteous relationship with God. And it starts with surrender. And so I think Jesus says here, listen, baptize them. Baptism is that public declaration, that public testimony that I am dying to my old life and I'm rising to a brand new life in Christ. A wonderful thing. Baptism, it's identification that I now belong to Jesus. It's declaration of my faith in Him. And it's a celebration. See, so here's the deal. Discipleship. It's all about the authority of Jesus Christ. It's all about surrendering to Christ. That's the second thing he's saying here. And then the third thing. He says this in Matthew 28. Teaching them. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. More than anything else. Here's what I believe we want men and women to do. Know God through his word. And be able to apply what they know about him to their life. Not rocket science. 
Not anything of secret wisdom or knowledge that I have to share with you this morning. It's simple. I believe the key aspect of discipleship is very, very simple. It's to know God and His ways through His Word. And then to be able to see that translate into the rhythm and into the fabric of their lifestyle. To be a learner. As Pastor Lance said, to be one whom the dust is upon. To be just like our Rabbi, our Jesus. To be in God's Word. Now listen to me. This does not just happen on a Sunday morning. But it happens everywhere. I asked you to turn with me to Matthew 28, but also to Deuteronomy chapter 6. So keep your finger in Matthew 28 and turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 6. This would have been a very familiar passage in Jesus' day, in Old Testament history. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 reads as follows. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I have commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be on the frontals between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. What is he saying here? How does this relate to Matthew chapter 28 and what Jesus is saying and teaching them all things? Listen. Teaching is so much more than just understanding the Bible. But it's also helping apply it to the life. That when I'm with my kids and I'm cruising down the shopping center and we're buying food or we're, we're doing whatever, I'm taking the opportunities that God places in my life as teaching opportunities about Christ. About His provision, about His forgiveness, about His goodness. Discipleship, teaching, it doesn't just happen in a scholastic sense where we're sitting down and listening to a teacher. But it happens as it says here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Everywhere you go, use it as an opportunity to teach. Don't you love that about Jesus? Jesus would be out there in the fields and say, listen, you know what? Let me tell you a story about the soil. Let me talk to you about the birds of the air. Jesus used every single opportunity to teach. And a knowledge of God and His ways through His Word and being able to apply it to our lives, why is that so crucial? Well, a knowledge of God is essential for discipleship because being a disciple literally means being a follower. We can't follow someone we don't know. Being a disciple is not just a new way to live philosophically or in a new religion. It's following a person, Jesus Christ. To know Him. And God's Word is uniquely transformational. There is nothing else capable of fostering spiritual transformation and growth like God's Word. God's Word. It's true that the Spirit of God is the agent of spiritual growth and fruit in our lives. But to fully know God and His ways, it only happens through Scripture. I mean, can we learn through experience? Yes. Through creation, most definitely. Through other believers, absolutely. But God's Word is the primary means which He's given to us 
to show us His plan of redemption. God's Word has so many different descriptions. In Psalm chapter 12, it's likened unto silver. In Psalm 19 and in Psalm 119, it's likened unto honey unto our souls. Jeremiah 23, he likens it unto a hammer and the strength of it. Ephesians 6, it's the sword of the Spirit. Hebrews chapter 5, it's, it's meat and solid food. Ephesians chapter 5, again, it's the water and the washing of the water of the Word. But there's one description that I find extremely interesting. Psalm 119 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. A couple of weeks ago, we celebrated Mother's Day. And on Mother's Day, a good friend of mine, his wife lost her wedding ring. And at first, he began to kind of wonder, Did you not like the gift I gave you for Mother's Day? Is this kind of a way to maybe get some more bling? You know, a little bit bigger rock? He had lost his wedding ring four times previously and she'd never lost it. But the next day, the following Monday, the wife, she was, she was completely distraught. Looked all over the house for her precious wedding ring. And when he got home that night, she hadn't yet found it. So my friend Matt, he said, okay, let's get the family together. Let's get all five of the girls. He has five daughters. And let's go on a hunt to find Mama's ring. Well, as they're looking everywhere, they're going through the living room, the kitchen, the bedrooms, the, the little gerbil, the little um, pet that they have in their house. They're checking the cage to see if the gerbil maybe has got it. They make their way to the master bedroom and they start to look under the bed. And, and the mom goes, you'll never find it there. I must have looked there 17 times today. So he says, well, hey, just for kicks... Zoe, Zoe, his little six-year-old, go and grab my flashlight and let's turn off all the lights. Let's grab the flashlight and let's look under the bed. And as it's pitch black underneath that mattress on that Monday night, it happens as he flashes that light across the bed, a little bit of flicker of light hits something. That rock that treasure that she'd been looking for all throughout the day. It glimmers in the gleam of the light of the flashlight. And my, little friend, my friend's little girl, the little five-year-old, this is what she does. She says, Daddy, this is just like Jesus. He's the light. And when the light's turned on, then you can finally see stuff. And this was theology from a five-year-old on a Monday. And my friend's wife says, I don't get it. I must have looked under that bed a thousand times today for that ring and my friend's little girl said but mama you couldn't find it because you didn't have the light see listen to me the word of God it's a lamp unto our feet a light unto our path it truly is uniquely transformational in our life there's nothing else like it nothing else like it dear Christian Find yourself daily feeding upon the Word of God. Allowing the Word of God to wash over you, as it says in Ephesians 5. To be your meat, your solid food. To allow it, as it can only do, divide between soul and spirit. Encourage us. Rebuke us when needs be. Edify us and build us up. See, listen, God's Word is uniquely transformational in the life of the believer. That's why Jesus says, go and teach them all things. And an application of God's Word is literally what it's all about. 
I mean, if I could put James chapter 1, verse 22, in kind of my own words, James would be saying this, you're missing it if you think it's okay to hear God's word and not put it to work in your life. If we're just hearers of the word only, just collecting knowledge, or we're kind of like a sponge that just continues to soak and soak and soak, but just sit there and not be good for anything. See, discipleship is all about God's Word impacting our lives, not just our minds. But allowing God's Word to renew our minds, renew our hearts, and be worked out through our hands. The application of God's Word. These two elements, in my humble, small opinion, are some of the most important in discipleship. God's Word and the application of it. That's what discipleship is all about. And the last one he says here, in Matthew chapter 28, he says, listen, behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus didn't offer us his final instructions and then just say, see you never, God bless, lots of luck. He said, no, I am with you. See, in this season of my life, like I've told you before, I've got three little girls. And a few weeks ago, my wife went out of town for an overnighter. And I had all three little girls by myself. And at that time, our little Layla, our now one-year-old, was probably about nine months old. And Layla had never... Well, Layla, she likes mama's milk and never had anything else but mama's milk. She wasn't bottle-fed or had yet graduated to little Gerber food. And so we had some bottles set aside and I was all ready for my weekend with my three daughters. And that was a journey, an experience in and of itself. To be able to try and mother and father three little girls uh, in one weekend. But Layla did everything I could to, 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 to be there for her and to make sure she got what she needed. We were up all night the first night and she wouldn't take anything other than popcorn. Little Layla. Finally, I'd get her down to sleep. And then the interesting thing to me, little Lily, my five-year-old, was pretty self-sufficient, to be honest with you. It was probably about 3.30 in the morning and I was tired. Tired after being up with, with little Layla all night, feeding her popcorn and trying to entertain her and get anything I could into her so she'd just go to sleep. And little Lily walked in. At about 3.30. I said, Lily, are you okay? She looked like she'd been crying. and She said, Daddy, I just want to be with you. I just want to... Can I sleep in your bed tonight? Can I sleep next to you? And at 3.30 in the morning, after the popcorn and, the, and everything else, I was thinking, No! <laughs> Go to sleep! But I didn't. I said, Lily, come and lay down. Let's go to sleep. I've got a season in my life right now where my five-year-old daughter actually wants to be with me. That may not always be the case. She wants to be with me. Just to be there. She's always, Daddy, what are you doing today? Can I go with you? Daddy, you've got to get up at six. Can you wake me up? I'll lay out my clothes. I want to be with you. See, and here's the deal. The relationship that we have with God, especially in this discipleship process, he truly is God, sovereign creator of the universe. He truly is the Lord 
the one to whom we surrender. But God is also Abba, Papa, the one who's never going to leave us. And through His Son Jesus, He makes this promise to us, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you. As you go about your life with Christ and following Him in your own discipleship process, you need to rest in the fact that God is never going to leave you or forsake you. He'll be with you. See, I don't know about you, but for me, I desperately long to be a part of a church or a family or a group of friends that gets it. That you know what? The win in this situation... It's not about a polished program or a stellar sermon or something of that nature, but it's when each and every single one of us is engaged in the mission that God has. It's not this mentality that, well, everybody assumes somebody else will do it when in reality nobody is. But see, we each have a part to play in this great commission to make disciples. And here's the thing I want you to know. We go out in the authority of Jesus. It rests upon Him. And as we go and simply help make learners, make followers, baptizing them in the name of Jesus, teaching them the great and wonderful truths of God's Word, and helping them apply it to their lives, we're given this precious promise that He's always with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Even though we may be faithless, He remains faithful. We can stand in that promise. And the last thing I think I want to leave with you in my short time with you this afternoon is that God wants to use you uniquely. He wants to use you uniquely. You have a sphere of influence that no one else has. He's gifted you, called you in ways that are unique to you. Don't miss out on the opportunities that God brings before your life. The win is to one day stand before the Lord and hear those great words that we all look forward to one day hearing. Well done, good and faithful servant. And here's my encouragement to you. Because of the authority of Jesus Christ, because of the promise of His presence, you can do this. You can be engaged. You can be involved in this great commission to reach the world, reach Scotland, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank You so much for Your Word. We thank You so much for Your presence and Your faithfulness in our lives. And Lord, I would ask that for this conference... For this group of people that you've called here in Scotland on this beautiful Saturday afternoon. God, that you would fill us afresh with your Spirit. That we would go in the authority and in the power of Jesus' name, following your commands and your commission to see disciples, to see learners, to see followers made of you. Thank you so much for this mission that you've given to us. That it truly does rest in your authority and in your presence. We love you, Lord. We commit the rest of our time together to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.